Hi everyone, before we get started, I have a bunch of things I want to announce. Today is the beginning of our holiday giving drive, our annual drive uh, through the end of the year. So our goal for this year is $25,000 and uh, we have received a generous pledge from Mary Doherty uh, that the first $3,000 given will be matched. So if you would like to support us and help uh, this podcast as well as our programs and everything we do for people around the world, um, please click the link in the show notes or go to youngchicago.org slash give um, and make a donation of any amount. Become a member, appear on our donor wall or in the podcast credits if you're a donor of a certain level, and you can also get uh, free attendance to some of our webinars, all that stuff. Um, so if you want to support the Institute, like I said, just click the link in the show notes. And then also, as part of our drive, Patricia has done a series of interviews that she's calling Young in the World that will begin today with this episode with Macy Day. Uh, we'll be posting one episode a week for the duration of the drive. So I hope everyone will enjoy that. Also, you have a little under two months left to apply to be in the analyst training program. If you're interested in becoming an analyst, if you want to learn more about that, just go to youngchicago.org ATP. The deadline to apply is January 15th. Um, we also have a new webinar posted on the website, Edith Rockefeller McCormick, philanthropist, intellectual analyst. It'll be Saturday, January 22nd, 2022, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And CDs are available. And it's a little different than our regular webinar time, so just keep that in mind. Today, we also begin our annual cyber sale. So November 22nd, which is today, uh, through November 30th, everything in our online store is 40% off. So if you have something that you've been looking at that you're like, ah, it's a little too much, I don't want, then now's the time. Just make sure you enter the uh, you enter the coupon code cyber on the cart page before proceeding to checkout. If you go to directly to checkout, you won't see the coupon box. Um, that'll be something we'll fix actually kind of soon. But for now, it is what it is. So thanks for your understanding, and go to the cart page to enter the coupon code. Thanks. podcast from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Jung in the World, Eros and the Archetypal Pursuit of Healing Love with Macy Day, PhD, Certified Sex Therapist. Uh, Patricia is going to introduce this episode and introduce Macy Day. I'm just going to read a, uh, her bio quickly. Macy Day is an AASECT Certified Sex Therapist, Licensed Professional Counselor, and Certified Therapist and Trainer of Hakomi Mindful Somatic Psychotherapy. Since 2010, she has led her popular retreat series, Passion and Presence, in the USA, Europe, and Australia. Shambhala Publications released her book, Passion and Presence, A Couple's Guide to Mindful Sex and Awakened Intimacy, in 2021. Macy has a doctorate in human sexuality from the Parkmore Institute, a master's degree in human development from Harvard University, and an educational specialist degree in counseling from Georgia State University. 
She also completed the level two somatic experiencing trauma training. Nacy aspires to live a contemplative, pleasure-centered life where her heart is the primary driver. She spends her free time wandering the streets of Mallorca, where she lives with Halko Weiss. You will often find her standing awestruck by her surroundings or entranced by the sound of sheep bells. She gets her urban fix in Hamburg, Germany, her home away from home. Hello, this is Patricia Martin, and welcome to Jungian Anthology. I'm a professional affiliate at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, and I'll be your host today. We're going to be kicking off a new series that I'm very excited about called Jung in the World. In this series, we'll be talking with people whose work intersects with Jung's ideas to tell a more contemporary story of his enduring impact in a brave new world. Love was a great mystery to C.G. Jung. It is thought that his pursuit of love and the feminine aspect of his psyche was an animating force in his famous Red Book. Joining us today is Macy Day, a trained psychologist, certified sex therapist, and author of the book, Passion and Presence, A Couple's Guide to Awakened Intimacy and Mindful Sex. Macy has a doctorate in human sexuality from the Parkmore Institute and a master's degree in human development from Harvard University. Macy's work delves into the deep roots of love and why Eros is a profound path to individuation. So, uh, oh, Macy Day, I, I was so intrigued um, by your work. I, 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 I went all through your videos yesterday. And um, so first I'm just gonna, um, I'm just gonna open with a proper welcome. Today, we have Macy Day joining us. She's a certified sex therapist and author of the book, Passion and Presence, A Couple's Guide to Awakened Intimacy and Mindful Sex. Welcome, Macy, to the Thank Young Technology you. Podcast. I have been so looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for having me. Well, so have we. I, um, I took this quote from your website. You describe your own work this way. Mindful sexuality involves embracing both the joys and complexities of erotic coupling with a curious and open heart. What a fascinating path you've chosen for mm. yourself professionally. I'm mm. so intrigued and I just have to get this question out right off the bat. Yeah. How did you put your fir first foot on this path? How did, how did this all develop for you? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, as a, I don't know, probably a late teen, early adult, I was pretty intrigued with Eros and the erotic, but I didn't call it that then. That, that happened much later. And then when I became a psychotherapist, of course, it became obvious that so many of us carry an Eros wound. And in the 1990s, I read a lot and was very inspired by the writings of John Wellwood, who was a psychotherapist and a Buddhist practitioner. And he wrote books like Love and Awakening, Journey to the Heart, that spoke to me so deeply. And, and basically, he made the bold claim that behind every psychiatric disorder is a form of love sickness or wound to the heart. 
and it presents as an inability to give love or to receive love because we falsely believe we're unlovable. And for him, the remedy for this was a love relationship because there's nothing like the crucible of a love relationship to smoke out all of our barriers to love. And for him, a relationship could be repurposed from the contract of mutual exchange to a path and a practice of psychological and spiritual awakening by privileging growth over comfort and by choosing to lean into these issues and work them. And so when I, so that was my, probably my third foot, first foot intrigue with arrows, second experience as a psychotherapist. But when I went to develop passion and presence, which began as a series of retreats, I really think John was my inspiration and my muse because this work is exactly what you said. It's befriending the joy and the suffering, the pleasure and the pain. That's part of the erotic package with curiosity and an open heart in service of healing our Eros wound. That's fascinating. And I think it very much honors Jung's theories about Eros. Uh, and thanks for using his word, that's, that's his word for this, um, is that it is a path to wholeness. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I think that's what your work is premised on. But to, to, it, it, you know, to take that path to wholeness through love, through loving someone who, who is different from us, not us, you know, is on their own path and has their own wounds. I think this business of privileging growth over purpose has got to be easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's growth over comfort. And yes, oh my gosh. Oh, growth over we, comfort. That's my bad. Yeah, growth over yeah. comfort. So because we're, you know, we all want to have some cushioning, life is hard enough, and we're wired to avoid pain. And to do, you know, we can devise many creative workarounds. So if it's a, it's, it's sort of a path of the warrior in a way, but of the heart, which was other language that he used, and that's also an archetype, of course. Um, so, right, it's not necessarily easy, but so rewarding. So rewarding. And back to the word you slipped in there, which I think is an important word, gives us a purpose, a meaningful yeah. purpose for erotic coupling. And I wonder about that. I wonder if because many people aren't focused on that purpose of, you know, erotic coupling as a way of heartfelt expression, as a way of confronting our own girls' wounds. You know, because people aren't, when they climb into bed together, this is not at the forefront, I'm pretty sure. That's so very much so. Mm -hmm. Is that very much so? so oh, yeah. It's, it sounds to me like you're, you're attuning people you know, mm. to, to listen mm. differently, to touch differently. Mm. Am I getting mm. this right? Well, absolutely. And that's part of the mindful side of it, which is about 
um, really listening deeply, checking in. I say you have to tune in to turn on, slowing down, embodying, and kind of being aware of each other's impulses so we can key off of each other and what's unfolding in every moment. But yes, I think the vast majority of us are looking for release or get off or some kind of reassurance or um, are operating out of habit and a sense of duty or we should do this because everyone says it's so important to keep a relationship alive. But going to those deeper levels and recognizing this amazing, unique opportunity to get a first row seat of how our erotic, our life themes play out on the erotic stage. And some of the, uh, the deeper, usually hidden forces that are shaping our bedroom behaviors. That's what mindfulness can help us attune to. And it's true, most people aren't oriented that way initially. There are some growth seekers that are, but the vast majority need a little, a little explanation and some exposure to such a view to so, take it on. Yeah, I was, I was uh, listening to you talk about that wanting to get, get off, get something. It's the getting business. Yeah. That yeah. side of the equation. And I look at, I, I study the collective and I study social changes um, that, you know, have deeper roots in the collective. And I, mm. I, you know, I watch the marketplace, the online marketplace that has taken the place of romantic love mm -hmm. and romantic courtship. And yeah. I, you know, I'm, that is a getting mindset. Mm-hmm. And so are you seeing that pe that kind of shift in romantic courtship is showing up in your workshops? Is it showing up in your, in your therapy sessions? The shift to... Um... To a kind of commercialism, a kind of, I'm just here to get something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or... You know, are you, are you seeing people adapt to that or are you seeing a dysfunction show up in that? Like, that's not really what I want, but that's what the world is telling me. Yeah. So I think people don't know how to put language to what they want. They hunger for something. They want something richer, deeper, more authentic, more vitalizing, more soulful. You know, I think of the soul of Eros as expression. And you know, what we learn of sex comes through different doorways, of course, but by and large, the models that we carry in our head match what's in the collective, which is often a distortion of Eros, a commercialization of Eros. And, you know, when we enter that way and we're navigating with a kind of map and a goal to match something against what we saw on TV the other day, Eros tends to vacate. It kind of leaves because it's not really the space where Eros kind of feels welcome. And so, yes, I see a both and of people coming in initially with, well, gosh, if I just was a better lover, if I knew more techniques, if I had more variety, more positions, maybe I would find what I'm seeking, this ineffable kind of quality 
Um, but once they, you know, start to understand what it is they're seeking and the path to get there, then something shifts. For some, really quickly, the light goes on, and for others, it, it never goes on, and for others, it just takes some time and repeat exposure. When you talked about the arrow's wound, it uh, made me wonder about the mother complex. Mm. Jung thought that the mother complex could either be a source of security and nurturance, or on the dark side of the spectrum, it could be a possessiveness and um, a not so healthy thing. And mm -hmm. I wonder how the mother complex gets uh, expressed in your work with couples. Mm, gosh, that's a great question. Let me feel into that for a moment and see if something comes. And it might not. I just was curious about it because yeah, it's yeah. our first, it's our primal anchor to love for most of us, right? Is our mm -hmm. relationship to our mother and we separate from that. And then, you know, maybe there's nothing to my question at all and that's fine too. well let's take it up i love taking up questions you know well um certainly the imprinting that happens from those earliest connections is in it's filed beneath consciousness in what i call our sexual operating system and whether we see relating and opening as the promise of nurturing and protection, or the threat of control and suffocation and clinging manipulation or criticism, um, certainly depends on the kind of parenting <laughs> we received and how that plays in the background of what we expect and what we can and can't open up to is exactly the territory that I go into because I'm very much looking at using the illuminating power of Eros to render vis visible all of the barriers, the internal barriers to being open and fully expressed and to be able to receive which we were talking about a moment ago, and give. And with those distortions of that natural relational impulse, of course there's going to be protective strategies and barriers. Are people always conscious of that? Generally not. Um, would they give it that language if they're not a Jungian? Probably not. But we may get some of the flavors of that as we start to do a deeper dive into these psychic structures. So would you say that there are barriers and um, true stumbling blocks for people to receive love in a coupled relationship? Undoubtedly. Un what, how would you describe that? Well, I said a minute ago that our life themes play out on the erotic stage. And what you know, the very first thing when we come in to the planet, when we incarnate, that we're dealing with is, am I welcome here? And is this a safe place for me? And if the answer is yes, then I land on two feet and I'm a, you know, I'm a yes about showing up and becoming fully embodied. 
if it's a rocky transition or an unwelcoming one or we're overwhelmed with stimuli or sensation or handled roughly and we're sensitive we have a lot of ambivalence about being here and so when we're in a love relationship and someone really is so happy to behold us to connect to us and what we've imprinted is i'm not fully welcome that's going to be the very first barrier to going toward and we can just keep going on up the developmental sequence of moving into can i have needs can i def depend on people again if the answer is yeah most of the time then i'm going to be more comfortable giving and receiving asking for what i want trusting allowing if the answer is oh no i've got to watch out for myself my needs don't matter or there's no support for me here then i'm not going to again open fully to love or to eros and again i could keep going on and on with some of these developmental thresholds and the issues that were we're kind of encoding at each stage but invariably we are going to have layering of barriers to loving relationship and to eros so it, you re this really boils down to like so many other things in psychotherapy one either wakes up in the morning and says i'm okay in the world or they wake up and say i'm not okay in the world that's probably like the point of the jumping off point <laughs> but right. here's let's go back to john wellwood for a moment and to jung on the whole process of individuation is when we make these unconscious kinds of um forces conscious and there's nothing again like a conscious like a relationship that's dedicated to this to allow shift to happen so it's not a life sentence it's not that you know this is our forever after temperament it's a predisposition for sure that by avoiding connection and avoiding erotic exchange may not change at all but through the process of saying i'm ready to lean in and befriend and look into these issues and through my connection with you and the work with myself start to transform these barriers so that i can access what i call our pure erotic potential or to continue this idea of love and relationship so that i can be deeply intimate and fully open-hearted of course that's an aspiration we're never a 100% it's a work in progress but we can we can certainly turn the tide and go more and more in that direction do you encounter in couples where one person is more invested in their consciousness than the other and often. how do you address that often 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 and i really wish i had an answer to that you know what i find is that when people you know just like sex somebody may come in because they want to play somebody else they want to experience the divine if we get our needs met then we can we can do the dance together so one of us may be seeking self-understanding awakening and the other maybe i just want to get along 
or I'd like to have sex more often, or I'd like to feel more loved. I don't need to peek into Pandora's box. I don't need to work with all of these forces and um, heal myself. If I'm deriving some benefit from these different practices that you're so invested in, then so be it. And then there are people who catch up. And then there are people where that gap never closes. Um, you know, we're all wired differently. And even just looking at the four functions, we're oriented differently. So I wish, if you figure that one out, please send me the, uh, the memo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I ask these questions so genuinely because... I'm still just a pilgrim to all of this as much as I study the work of Carl Jung and talk to people who have a great deal of vision and experience like yourself. You know, I'm just constantly learning. So, you know, back at you. Um, I, <laughs> I, I also wonder, because I see how much isolation is happening in the society, in the mm. collective. Yeah. People are living alone more and more. And I just wonder, what's the future of coupledom from where you sit? Well, I have a very interesting vantage point because I'm in relationship. I'm a human. I'm a pilgrim <laughs> alongside of you. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a couples therapist. And I'm a sex therapist. And th there are trends looking at revisioning monogamy. There's much more openness to this acknowledgement that the length of a relationship now is about twice as long as it was 100 or 200 years ago by virtue of the lifespan being longer. And when we expect our partner, one partner, to fulfill all of our needs and our erotic needs, that's putting a lot a burden on a partner. And we've seen that many relationships don't last. So there's a growing trend, particularly of younger people, but not necessarily, that are going, well, do we need to change the structure and form of our coupling? So that's one collective trend. Then there's another trend that's more about, um, let's get realistic. You know, we, we all sort of came in through the fairy tale version of coupling that that sheen would last. And when it seems to wear off, it's so easy to fall prey to these beliefs that, well, something's wrong. Something's wrong with me or you or us. It's not working and I need to go find that sheen. And what I think people are starting to understand is that that's a particular state and if we want to have a lasting connection, we have to actually cultivate intent and maybe shift some of our expectations and learn how to re-enchant ourselves. That's a lot of what my work is about. Um, but I read a wonderful book. Gosh, I wish I could. I, I, was, I was once designing a series of retreats called... Um, I forget what it was called, but I think it was something like Flying Solo. This was about 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I was reading books. Well, first of all, I read an article in the New York Times recently about platonic marriage. I don't know if you happen to see it, 
but it was people who had no erotic connection whatsoever and never intended to, but were so deeply committed to each other and so ready to show up. I mean, our biggest fear for many of us is who's going to take care of me when I'm old? How can I pool my financial resources so that I can live okay through these decades? Um, how do I have companionship, to your point, in this increasingly isolated, nomadic, um, sort of disenfranchised kind of existence? Um, so people are saying, I love you. You're the person I spend the most time with. I'm ready to commit to you and formalize it. So that's one thing. And then people are doing more co-housing. They're having all kinds of interesting and unique arrangements and uh, like legitimizing them as valid um, and equivalent forms of coupling so that our original vision doesn't have to be the only one or the reference point against which we're matching our arrangement. I love that answer <laughs> because it's hopeful. You know, it says that the collective has the ability to co-create a different, a different set of rituals, a different set of commitments. Yeah, and I'm glad you used that word hopeful because truly that's what I'm about. I'm about with passion and presence, helping people develop or creating a vision that's at once realistic. Like, what is real life sex? Are we ever going to have a problem-free relationship? Certainly not. Will we continue to experience challenge and face new edges? Absolutely. It's built into the evolutionary design. But at the same time, we can have a hopeful and transformational view of what's possible. And that's something until recently we really haven't had. It's like, this is the model and how do we compare? And we're either a good match or not. And so something's wrong and we need to possibly end or just endure our remaining time in this soulless, lifeless, eros void kind of connection. Oh, that sounds too apocalyptic for Carl Jung. <laughs> <laughs> he would be hopeful with you. That, yeah, I'm so happy. Right, yeah. that we are creative beings, that we are wired to create. Absolutely. If, if, we need to, if what we need to do is create a, a new culture, we, we shall do it, ever was it so, and ever was it, you know, occurring. So I wonder, as you talk about, you know, this open-heartedness and this openness to letting things rise into our consciousness that will make us better lovers. If you had a magic wand, if I handed you a magic wand and I said, if you could teach people one thing, if you could just make it so that people would suddenly wake up and know this about how to be a better partner or a better lover, I'll put, I'll put the eros into this too. What would it be? Yeah. What's the one thing? Well, this is what I love about mindfulness is that one of the gems that it potentially teaches us is the art of befriending. And befriending meaning making friends with all of our internal parts all of the feelings that arise, the images, the erotic motifs, 
the impulses that we have, particularly the ones that are difficult or confusing, that if we make friends, if we befriend, if we develop more capacity to be with and bring curiosity to our experience, that that is what seeds consciousness, expansion, self-understanding, and ultimately transformation. So that might be, you know, if we could all take the pill, <laughs> the befriending <laughs> pill. The befriending pill. Instead of defending against so much of what we experience inside and outside. Oh, Macy, thank you for befriending us today. Mm, absolutely. It's wonderful to talk with you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org. Thank you to our 2020 donors who gave at the contributing member level and above. Barbara Anand, Usha and Ashok Beatty, Jackie Cabe Bryan, Eric Cooper and Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, Mary Doherty, James Fidelibus, John Koroluski, Marty Manning, Diane Sherwood, Deborah P. Stutzman, Deborah Tobin, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Pop, Gerald Weiner, Karen West and James Taylor, and Alan Young. If you would like to join our generous community of supporters, just go to youngchicago.org slash give.